Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy and today's guest is Jessica Hoffman. Now Jessica's career path is really interesting. Today, she is VP of Marketing and Communications and also an operating partner at Craft Ventures. Craft Ventures is in the venture capital space, investing in the future companies that are really defining our world, companies like Bird that she mentions today. But her path there really comes from a focus on communications. And I think a lot of us as marketers think that the ultimate goal is to get to that CMO title. That way we can really start to control narrative, start to control demand and opportunities within that organization and even have that seat reporting to the CEO. But what's interesting with Jessica, she talks about her career path as a VP of communications. And that role in her experience is actually reported to the CEO, gives a voice, allows you to really be involved in forming the narrative. We talk a lot about that. What does that mean to find a movement inside of a company? That and a lot more in my conversation with Jessica Hoffman. Here we go. Jessica, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us about your journey. We're going to start with your career. You've got a really interesting role as VP of Marketing and Comms, also an operating partner, so we'll understand what that is at Craft Ventures. This is not the typical journey. How did you land here? Um, I started out in news um, in New York City back in the 90s. Um, I worked for the international arm of ABC. And um, that is what taught me what a news story is and what it's not. And so that is how I landed my first PR job, which was with Schwartz Communications in 1997, um, when the sort of eBay and WebMD, Macromedia, all of those early internet companies were just taking off. Very cool. Not everyone transitions from a PR agency, as, as you said, even into the brand side. You've done that, and as we as we continue to go through your career, I mean, you've worked with some amazing companies, not just on the PR side, but more the comm side. How did you start to realize the difference between the two? When you work in a PR agency, you learn a lot of skills about how to pitch the media, uh, how to score coverage for your client. But what you never get is a real depth of understanding of the company and how it's functioning. You're, you're just so deep. You never go deeper. And so that is initially what drove me to leave an agency and go operate in a company. And so really then once you start within a company, especially as a leader, your job is not to do PR. That is like a sort of tactical um, thing that has to happen as part of your comm strategy. But that's just one piece of many that you need to think about because you, like every other executive on the team, you're thinking about how to grow. It's a very different requirement than asking you to go get media coverage. Gotcha. So let's let's dig in a little then as to why you got intrigued by this comms role. And you know, for clarity, before we get there, I mean, you're you're now working with someone who you reported into along that path in a comms role. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship at Zenefits and now the relationship now? At Zenefits, well, Zenefits is a very unique situation um, because David Sachs, who I reported into at Zenefits and is also my boss now, you know, we were in the bunker. We were uh, in a in a crisis situation almost within a month of me joining. So it's a it's a different relationship um, than I think one that a person normally has. But I think it's similar in that um, your role as a comms leader is being on the front lines with the media, and because that has such an impact on how people see the company, your your customers, your prospects, your employees, um, but also how you communicate with all of those people. So everything that people are thinking and hearing and thinking about the company, like what are those touch points and how can you impact those? And so that starts to get very interesting for, for someone who likes this type of work because you're having to think through the broader, the broader scope of issues that affect the company and all of the audiences that the company has to face. And in the situation with Zenefits, that was like day by day that was changing. And our strategy then was just radical transparency about what we had done wrong and how we were fixing it. That was sort of like a mini communications plan every week. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to dig in there and and reveal for everyone, because you shared this with me, and this is why I was really intrigued to have you on here as a guest, is you know being the VP of comms is actually an opportunity to report to the CEO, not necessarily reporting to the CMO cases. How, how do you define when that's the case? And, and is that essential for you as a marketing leader? Yeah. So it really depends on who the CMO is. I've had great relationships with CMOs. And then I've had other ones that um, for whatever reason, there was a little bit of friction. And so I would say if a company thinks of communications and the media and thinking about it strategically and using it as as more of a of a proactive tool as opposed to reactive, then you really want someone who's tied at the hip to both the leader of the company, the main spokesperson, and the strategy of the company. Without that, they're not very effective. They're not very useful. So if you have, in my experience, if you have a VP of comms who's reporting into a CMO, it tends to be more that they're hearing what they need to do and going and executing it as opposed to creating what the strategy needs to look like. And that's why if you have a close partnership with a CMO, it works really well, like if you really like each other. And if, you, if you're kind of stepping on each other's toes, it can be difficult because you're both at that level, you're both trying to think about how the brand shows up, um, how it looks, feels, and sounds, so I would say if you if you want to work for a company and report directly to the CEO, you you have to find a company that cares a lot about PR and thinks of it as strategic. Without that, it doesn't make sense for the company. So one of the things I, I I'm hoping you can help me figure out, and and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are either living in a in a very large organization where they've seen the structure you've described. Or there's others that are probably working at a company like the ones Kraft would work with, which are high growth. And comms is something that you don't even have in the early stages. It, it more so becomes a tactical strategy under you know, our product marketing team or our content team or something of the sort. So when does it start to make sense to have this separate 
focus on comms with that direct line of communication to the CEO? Yeah. When a company is going public, when a company is acquiring other companies, when a company has a vulnerabilities and so has uh, crises, little mini crises or big crises that are coming up constantly, um, those are all like easy ones where you need a strong comms leader in place. There's also a lot of other times where a company can get pretty innovative with a strong comms function. And one thing that comes to mind is a company that I worked for for a number of years called Square Trade. It sold warranties and it's now part of Allstate, but it was an independent company when I worked there. And the mandate was to build the brand and PR was one of the ways they wanted to do that. And so we had to come up with ways to make warranties like newsworthy. So what we did was we created these breakability campaigns and we sort of, we created robots that would break the new phone. Every time a new phone came out, it would go through the paces with our robots and then we would film it. And we had this great creative director who would, you know, make these awesome little videos and we would broadcast I mean, we would get coverage every time. It was like the campaign that never, that never ended. And then we went and recreated that in 15 different countries. So it was like, a, it was an opportunity to use PR to advance brand in a very repeatable way and also tied to a newsworthy event, which was, you know, Apple's constantly going to introduce new phones, Samsung's constantly going to introduce, you know, and all the other companies. So it was a way for us, it was sort of a formulaic way for us to use PR strategically, but without some of these other these other things that I've spoken about, like an IPO or M&A activity or that type of thing, just straight. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, yeah, I, lo I love the book Behind the Cloud uh, and, and those who, who aren't aware, it's the story of Salesforce. And it reminds me of the leveraging of this no software logo, right. the disruption, the change, which yes, it's marketing, but it's more what the CEO is out there saying this is this is a need for change this is a need for a changing in times changing in the guard which as you said that's that's the opportunity to work on that public figure that's right it's also the no software was all about controversy which was also these breakability campaigns we did were all about controversy it was saying the samsung's phone was better than iphone or iphone was better than samsung whatever it is and with benioff what he did was not only create controversy but he attacked the status quo in a way that everyone could get behind. Well, not everyone, but you know, everyone except his competitors. Um, and he really made it, he charted the very clear path to the future. And so who wanted to stay behind? So it was a very um, sort of classic disruptive move that now all of us emulate. Um, and yes, he was out there on the front lines. He wasn't he, he didn't have someone else doing that for him. He was out there doing it himself. So it was very sincere. Um, it was very mission-driven, very focused on the, the sort of future of the world that the internet was creating. And so it was, um, it was something everybody could get behind. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jessica, this is great. I, I feel like we're already starting to peel back the onion in terms of the role of comms. I want to go deeper on this. We'll take a short break here on the marketer's journey, and we'll be back to define some of the other things that a comms leader gets to take on. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the interesting parts that I think a lot of us are trying to map for our own careers as we listen to Jessica is when do you need a VP of communications? And when you're in an earlier stage company, even growth stage, I would imagine it would be hard to have someone as a VP of communications not reporting into the CMO. I think it's really important that a lot of that narrative storytelling comes from the marketing org and trickles throughout the rest of the company. When you get to a larger company, and as Jessica said, when you're going public, when you're at some of these exciting milestones, at that point, your narrative should be much more formulated. And at that point, it's easy to imagine getting to a stage where you're constantly just trying to hit the market with that message, whether that's you know the communications department, or as she said, sometimes the CEO on behalf and being able to work with that individual on a regular basis, while the CMO figures out more of the go-to-market activities through sales, success, and marketing. An interesting way to think about it, and I'm sure there's some great examples I'd love you to post of when you saw a comms leader really make an impact with that next stage of growth. So Jessica, when we think of this comms role and the responsibilities there. You mentioned earlier that PR is more of a tactic that is at the disposal. When when you have the comms leader reporting to the CEO, and we just talked about that Benioff example that I love, and you, it seems you're a fan of as well, it's much more tactical. It's more strategic. How do you How do you frame that, and how do you create balance across the whole org for what this represents? Yeah, so... The, the comms leader really partners with product marketing, the CMO, whomever it is, to figure out like what is the status quo that you're attacking and how do you talk about your company? What are the fundamentals about how you talk about your company and how do you sell? And once you have established that and it's very clear to you and everyone share, everyone's on the same page about what that looks like and how that, what those words are. Then I think that's when you start to pull all these other pieces in. And so one of those pieces is your community. So how do you build community? What are the customers that are, that are your biggest advocates? How do they tell your story? What are you doing with social media? Are you, what kind of controversy are you creating? When are you going too far? And when are you not going far enough? How do you figure out how to be inclusive, the most inclusive, and, but still with a very clear message? Uh, all those things are part of what a comms leader sort of architects and then delivers through the written word. And so it's not that she's doing it on her own in a silo with a comms team. It's like a very integrated function. But the only way to do it well 
is for everyone to be on the same page about what the goal is and how to create that big tent that everybody can comfortably get in and and to you know drive forward as a as a mission-based pursuit as opposed to just you know working for another company absolutely no it's it's having that consistent narrative I and mean, one of the examples i think about as you describe that is is the idea of these platforms like G2 and Trust Radius that are now out there. And sometimes I'll go there and what drives me nuts, even for our own company, is when we have five great reviews, but they describe us so differently. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that sometimes screams as a problem that we have where we don't have consistency across our own base of how they describe us. So if, if they're not describing us consistently, who knows what other stories are out there? Well, that's interesting because, um, yeah, so that's the control that everyone aspires to as, as a marketer. But actually taking your customer's lead uh, in terms of what they're most excited about, the way that they would describe you, there's sometimes really deep learnings there, things that you wouldn't think of yourself because you've come at it from a very different perspective. So I, I find that user feedback and user testimony fascinating. I, I think another thing that companies frequently underutilize is just constant surveying of customers, some sort of vehicle that gets set up from the beginning where you're constantly getting that feedback because it's, it's, um, you know, maybe, maybe out of 20, there's only one good nugget, but that nugget could be really great. Absolutely. Now, I, I mean, getting that scalable feedback, we actually had Michelle Hoff, who's the CMO of user testing on the podcast probably a few months back if people want to listen to that episode. And we go really deep on the new ways that you can get customer feedback. You know, and, and to your point, I mean, we can grab little nuggets of that and they can start to shape that. One of the terms I've heard you use is movement marketing. And, and I'm wondering who sets what that movement is, though? Is this the responsibility of the comms leader? Is it, again, we've got the CMO reporting in and trying to figure out the right narrative, the right storylines to be told as well. How does that narrative or how does that movement get defined? Yeah, movement marketing is a term that David Sachs, um, who's the founder of Craft, who I work for, created. Um, and it really is sort of advice for founders when they're first starting out in how to articulate what they do and why it matters to the world. Frequently, you have founders who have started a company because they understand a product very well. And so you have them building the company around the product. And the mission, the sort of vision of why this, why this is going to change the world is very secondary. And with so many of our founders being technical, it's an important, it's an important skill to develop to sort of stand back and think about who's going to use this product and how is it going to change everything. As a company grows, so if that gets established in the beginning, which we always hope it will, then as it grows, it gets further refined by customer feedback. Um, you know, it could be that early learning in that first year when you figure out what your product is that is really your best product and what you do with that. All of that sort of refines what the message is. But when you're at a point where you're bringing in a CMO, then you you're you're clear on what you're what you're buying, you know, what you're selling, what the customer really wants from the company. And so, and that's just a further refinement of it. And then it's how do you squeeze the most out of it? How do you make it resonate 
with all of your different target audiences. But what movement marketing is, is like way back in the beginning, when you're first starting out, like how do you make that message that you have resonate with the world and make people care? Gotcha. Can you give us a, an example of a company that maybe you've worked with recently through Craft or one of the ones that you've worked with over the years that's really just nailed that movement and been able to grow with it? There's so many, um, but Bird is a is a pretty good example of a company that nailed their movement from Bird the Scooter Company from the very start. They knew that they were a micro mobility company, but they didn't they they didn't sort of fuss around with being anything other than a transportation company that was going to change how cities operate. And so that clear mission-driven focus, not just of how they showed up in the world, but for their employees, I think was pretty critical. Gotcha. That's a great example. And it's such a fun brand too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. So, so as you think about your movement, if you will, I mean, this is a very different role that you're in today where you're working with various different companies. How do you think about what is your movement a craft that you're trying to form and that you're trying to set an ongoing narrative for the company around? So my role at craft and what I really love to do is um, to work with portfolio companies. And so I'm mostly working with founders, but as they grow, I'm working with their teams and it's a very rewarding job because you see companies grow from, you know, sometimes a, an early seed investment to, you know, much bigger companies like bird is a good example of that. Um, I think the movement, maybe I don't think of myself as creating movement, but I would say if there is one, it's that venture capitalists are actually partnering with companies from the very beginning, um, and not a sort of transactional relationship where the money goes in and hopefully the money comes out. It's right. more like... I mean, we love our founders. Like we know them personally. We're like in it with them. That's both like much more rewarding, I think, for both sides. Um, but I also think it produces better companies. I love being a part of that. Um, I think that is the mandate that has been set by David Sachs in the beginning. All of our GPs are, are founders themselves. They've gone through the the aches and pains of starting a company and they've all had very successful exits. So we're not just sort of financiers, you know, involved in moving money around. Um, we're really in it with, with the founders. And so I, so yeah, I love being a part of that. That's fantastic. Jessica, this has been great. We're going to keep you around after one more short break, a little bit more learning about how you make a personal commitment to a journey or time off for yourself right after a short message from our sponsors. So as Jessica talks about this idea of movement marketing, I was thinking about what's the movement been that my company, Uberflip, has tried to create. And I, I think a lot of us can try and think, do we have that movement? Do we have something that our employees can buy in? Do we have something that our customers can buy into? We actually use a, a concept that comes from the Innovator's Dilemma, a great book that I encourage you to read at some point. And we talk about this cross-section internally of 
the incumbent been there, done that solution, selling to an old buyer, and that a change is coming. You know, for us, that's a CMS, and we represent that change and that inflection point in the innovator's dilemma curve is one that we motivate people towards and push our customers to think. I think it's important for everyone to have that movement. It helps you create buzz, whether it's from a PR perspective, whether it's the disruption that you're trying to sell on a day-to-day -day basis. So Jessica, we've unpacked your career journey. We've talked a little bit about what it's like to be in this type of role and what impact that has on a company. That's gotta be pulling you in, like crises, as you said. I mean, when, when you gotta be there, it's going on and sometimes it's one after another. How do you find breaks when, they're, when it's so intense? So I thrive on the intensity, like I love it. Um, I don't like it when it's not. Um, super fast paced. Um, I, I think that's why I've worked in startups all this time. But the things that I do to decompress, uh, I make pots on a wheel. I'm a potter. Okay. Um, a little kiln here. So I like fire it up. That's pretty cool. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. So that keeps me busy. Um, and sometimes I'll just do that for like a quick half hour in the middle of the day. And then I cook every night. So that is like a very different, that's a very different skill set, a very different mind meld. So I, I am not looking at a screen and I'm just looking at colors and smells and ingredients. And so um, it's refreshing. Keeps me sane. Yeah. That's great. And, and do you make these pots only for those meals that you cook yourself? Or do you have some sort of an Etsy like store where you're selling these? No, I do not sell them. Um, I use them mostly for, yeah, dinnerware and things of that nature or all of my friends and family who I think at this point have too many. So let me know who gets them. <laughs> there, yeah, that's another reason to, to get an investment from craft. Maybe you also get a pot along the way. <laughs> Jessica, this, this has been great. I've, I've really enjoyed learning about your journey. I think a lot of people tuning in took a lot away from this. If this is the first episode that you've stumbled across, check out, we've got over 50 past episodes with great marketing leaders. Everyone's journey is a little bit different. Hopefully one day you'll be sharing yours here on The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.